0: following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So today, Genesis chapter 50, last chapter of Joseph's Journey, last chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. And uh, for one final time, we will have our scripture reading video with three people across Shore and Summit and Grace City, uh, across the three churches, reading this passage for us. Um, some selected verses from Genesis 50. So let's have that video now. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him, Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full forty days. But that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed, and treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Okay, so we come right to the end of Joseph's story now, in Genesis chapter 50, all the way to the end. And this is now taking place after... This famine has happened in the land of Egypt. That has come and gone. Joseph's overseen that. This is taking place after Jacob's father. Has, uh, Joseph's father has blessed his 12 sons. And then the boy's dad, Jacob, finally passes away. Uh, right at the end of the story here is one of the last things that happens in the book of Genesis. You have the death of Jacob. And his body is taken from Egypt up back up to Canaan where he was originally from, and he's buried there in the Promised Land with great uh, dignitary and ceremony, with, with pomp and, and all, sorts of, uh, all sorts of dramatic things that happen around the burial, around the uh, celebration and the ceremony of Jacob. And then the brothers come back to Egypt, and they, and they carry on life there, and they continue as a family. And you have right at the end of uh, this, this whole story of Joseph, you have this scene between Joseph and his brothers. This one scene I want to focus on this morning. After Jacob has died, the brothers then send this message to Joseph. And let me, let me read to you what they say here in Genesis 50 verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left us these instructions before he died. And what these brothers are doing, what they're revealing here, is that they don't really believe that Joseph has properly forgiven them. That's what sort of comes out here at the end. That they think maybe during Joseph's life, he's just held on to this grudge, and Jacob has been like a bit of a buffer between the brothers and Joseph. So while Jacob was alive... Uh, maybe Joseph didn't really want to get revenge on the brothers because that would upset his dad. But now that Jacob's out of the way, maybe the brothers are worried. Now, maybe Joseph is going to let us have it. Maybe he's finally going to punish us for all this, th- these wrong things that we've done to him, for this terrible act that we did of selling him into slavery all that, those years ago. So they send this message to, to Joseph saying, just before dad died, he gave us these instructions and he, he wanted you to forgive us. He wanted to make sure that you'd truly forgiven us for this wrong that we did to you all those years ago. Now, the brothers are almost definitely making that up. It's completely fabricated. There's no record of Jacob actually saying that to the brothers. Uh, and, And if he'd been concerned about Joseph not having forgiven his brothers, why wouldn't he have said that to Joseph? Why wouldn't he have talked to Joseph about that rather than giving a message to the brothers to then go and tell Joseph about that? It doesn't make any sense. So the brothers are just making up a story here about their father having this message for Joseph because they're just still focused on their own self-preservation. They're still focused on them being protected, them being guarded. And so they're very cagey and very cautious around Joseph. And the text tells us that when Joseph got that message, the first thing that he did was to weep he just cried. And you can can sort of understand why. That that he felt like nothing had really changed. You know, after all that time, the brothers are still not really willing to accept he's forgiven them. They're, They're not really willing to to be properly united to him again. They're still focused on themselves. They're still focused on their own self-preservation. They're still making up lies. They're still dishonest people. And you can just imagine Joseph sitting there thinking, what was the point of all of this? Like, why go through everything that I've gone through over these last however many decades when it hasn't really reconciled me to these guys and they're still much more focused on themselves than on me? And so Joseph's distraught and he just weeps. And then the brothers make a personal trip to see Joseph after all of this. They first sent the message, and then they they come and see him. In verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. So they're obviously fearful. They're worried that he's now going to take the opportunity to punish them. And here's what Joseph says, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. So you see what he doesn't do? He doesn't tell them off. He doesn't lecture them. He doesn't get upset at them. He doesn't get grumpy at them. He doesn't get angry at them. What he does is he gives his brothers a new way of seeing the story. He says, let let me just lift up your eyes and give you a different way of understanding everything that's happened. You guys are so focused on yourselves. You're just seeing things from your own tunnel vision perspective. Let me just reframe this whole situation for you and give you a new way of looking at everything that's taken place over the last few decades. And so Joseph just paints this picture of what God has been doing all along. And he gives us, it's like getting a new lens to look at the whole story. Like From this vantage point of this passage, this provides a perspective for us to look back over all these chapters that we've covered and see the story maybe in a way we hadn't seen it before. We've been journeying through with Joseph and with the other brothers, but now we've got this perspective that we can look back and we can maybe see something in the story that we hadn't quite seen as clearly before. And it all revolves around what Joseph says in verse 20. This is the key verse, and it's a well-known verse. A lot of people quote this verse. But let's just unpack this a little bit. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, a couple of key words in there. First of all, the word intended. You intended to harm me. Some of your translations might say you meant it for evil, or you meant to harm me. And that word intended... It means to plan or to scheme, to, to devise and, and to strategize. So Joseph is saying, all the way back there, on that day when, we were, when I was 17 years old, out on out the fields near Dothan, you made a plan. You brothers made a plan. And it was a plan for evil. And, and it was, right? It was, that was a despicable plan. I mean, to take your own brother... And sell him into human slavery, human trafficking. I mean, that is that is evil. And Joseph calls them on it. Like he said, that, that was pure evil, what you did. That plan was evil. But while you were planning, there was another plan that was going on. You intended this evil plan, but over here, God intended, it's the same word. While you were planning, God was planning. God was scheming. God was strategizing. God was doing something over here. In other words, Joseph says, back on that day, none of us realized it, but God was there. God was there when you, when you sold me for 20 shekels of silver. God was there when you put me in the hands of those slave traders and watched me disappear over the horizon. God was there. We didn't know it. We didn't feel it. We didn't sense it. But God was there. He was right there. And not only was he there, he was working He was doing something, like God had a plan. And somehow in the midst of that evil act that you were doing, God was working something good. Now, I don't think that means God caused the brothers to do what they did. God's not the author of evil. But in and through and around and above, all of that, God was somehow working out His plan in the very same set of circumstances. And God's plan... Was for good. Now that word "good," it's it's such a kind of a simple word, isn't it? We think we know what it means, but it's a really important word in the Bible. That word takes us all the way back to the very first chapter of Genesis. You think about where the word "good" appears. After several days of creation, God steps back, and what does he say? It was good. Yeah, you can hear Morgan Freeman saying that, can't you? Yes. It was good. And then you get, then God creates human beings and the text says he saw all that he had made and it was very good. It's the same word. Same Hebrew word. So God looks at what he's created and when God says it is good, he's not just saying, that looks nice. He's not just saying, gee, I did a good job there, didn't I? He is saying that lines up Perfectly with my intentions. See, the first thing we've got to realize is that God defines what is good. This is what Genesis teaches us. As soon as we start to define what is good, we come off track. It's exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3, where Eve saw that the fruit was good. And that was the beginning of all sorts of problems. As soon as we start taking the definition of good into our own hands, evil results. What we need to let God do is define what is good. We think we know, but we've only got a very limited partial perspective. We've got to place the definition of good back into God's hands. God names what is good. So what is good is that which lines up with God's intentions, not necessarily ours. What lines up with His purposes, what is in line with His plans, what is in line with His will, what is in line with His agenda. That is what is good. And it's a beautiful thing that you can see the word good there in Genesis 1. And then all the way here at the end of the book of Genesis, the same word crops up again. Isn't that awesome? It's like this word bookends the book of Genesis. And it tells the story. It tells this amazing story of God who created a good world and very good human beings. But that world has been spoiled. We've been corrupted by sin. We've been contaminated. And yet all the way here at the end of Genesis, that word appears again as if to say, God's not done yet. He's still got good work to do. The plan is moving forward. There is still goodness in the world. There is still goodness in humanity. God is moving his redemptive work forward. And it's all captured in that one beautiful little word, good. And so all through Joseph's life, you see God constantly moving his good work forward. And these two layers of operation are happening. You've got human decision-making, and then you've got God working out his plans. The brothers sold Joseph into slavery, but God was there. He was working good out of that situation to get Joseph to Egypt. Potiphar's wife was working for evil, God was working for good even in that situation when Joseph was thrown in prison. He's maneuvering Joseph to get him where he wants him, to position him for the next part of the story. And then Pharaoh's got his decisions to make, elevating and promoting Joseph. And in that situation, God is there and he's orchestrating it and he's working for good. And then Joseph's overseeing the food distribution of Egypt and God's in amongst that. He's working for good all the time. There's human decision making that's going on. But then above that, there's God's plans and purposes being worked out. God's moving the chess pieces around the board just exactly as he wants to move them. And one of the main things God is doing through the story, God's good purposes, is to save his covenant family. He's working through this family that goes back to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and down and down and down. And he's concerned to protect that family because that's the family of promise. That's the family of blessing. And God wants to preserve them and protect them from the famine even though he caused the famine, but even so, God still wants to preserve them through it. He, he wants to bring them to Egypt so that they can survive and they can flourish and they can thrive. And the blessing can continue being passed on from generation to generation to generation. God is very focused here on his family of blessing, not just on the individual person of Joseph. Joseph's the means to get that done, but God is about this redemptive work that's being passed down through Abraham's family. So God's purposes are way bigger than what Joseph would have experienced even in his own life. God had plans and purposes that none of these brothers could see, but he's working it out methodically through this story in his way and in his good time. Now you get to the end of the book of Genesis, and God's good plan's not over yet, is it? Because God now has his family right where he wants them in Egypt, and that sets the scene for the next stage of the biblical story, which is the Exodus you keep reading, you get to the book of Exodus and God's good work, his good plans just keep on rolling forward. God eventually brings his people out of Egypt. He took them into Egypt as a family. He brings them out as a, still a family, but a people of millions now. And under the hand of Moses, God does a good work. He parts the Red Sea, He brings his people out and eventually he settles them in the promised land. He's still working for good. And God enters into covenant with Israel and he journeys with them through all the ups and downs of the Old Testament. And God's doing his good work. He's planning for good. He's intending for good. He's working through every circumstance for good. And then you get all the way down to the New Testament. And finally, you have Jesus of Nazareth who steps onto the scene. And Jesus is the pinnacle of God's good work. You know, all the way back in Genesis, where Joseph's talking about God meant it for good, the ultimate good that story points toward is Jesus. That's a big part of the reason the story of Joseph is in your Bible, is to witness ultimately to the Messiah who is coming. There's all sorts of parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus as you look at them. You think about it, just as Joseph was hated by his brothers, Jesus was hated and despised by many people. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's inflation for you. (laughs) You And then Joseph is given over into the hands of wicked people. Jesus is handed over to the evil intentions of people. And yet you have this uh, awesome verse in the book of Acts, which talks again about these two layers operating in the life of Jesus. It says, this man, it's Jesus, was handed over to you. By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Can you see both layers operating? Human decision-making, right? Pilate had his decisions to make. The Jewish leaders had their decisions to make. The crowd had their decisions to make. But above all of that, here is God's foreordained plan taking place. God knew exactly what he was doing. And ultimately, it was his will for Jesus to go to the cross because of the redemption that would occur. And then the story carries on, just as Joseph is raised up and exalted to this place of power and prominence, Jesus is raised up, isn't he? On the third day, literally, and first from death to life, and then from earth to heaven. And he's ascended, placed at the right hand of the Father, and receives the name Lord, given all authority over heaven and earth. Jesus is raised up. So the story of Joseph mirrors beautifully the story of Jesus. You have the humiliation and the exaltation. And with Jesus, you have this humiliation and you have this exaltation. They just parallel each other in such a perfect way that Joseph's story points us towards Jesus' story. And Jesus' story shows us the ultimate demonstration of God working for good, ultimately for our good, for our redemption, and for our salvation, right? Even since then, God's good work is carrying on. God didn't stop the good work on the day Jesus was raised from the dead either, did he? It carries on. It's carried on for the last 2,000 years. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. He says, if I can find it, verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's that word again. Good. All the way over in the New Testament now. And you you just wonder whether when Paul wrote that verse, he might have been thinking back to Joseph's story. I mean, we don't know. But it's so similar, isn't it, to To the words Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, and then Paul in the New Testament is writing, In all things, God's still working for the good of those who love him. In other words, in every generation, including ours, God is still working in our lives and in our circumstances and in our situations for good, including your life and my life including right here in our church community and in our families and our circumstances. God is it working for good. Do you believe that? He is. And notice that Paul says, in all things. All things. I'm not sure we believe that part. You know, like we believe, yeah, in some things I can see God working. And in, in special things, he is working. In obvious things, in extraordinary things, in spiritual things, in churchy things. In Christian things, maybe noticeable things, maybe positive and happy things, but all things? And Paul's saying, yes, all things in every situation of your life, God is working. I know you don't see that. I know you don't feel that. You don't comprehend that. But this is what we believe by faith. In all things, in every single situation, in every high and every low, in every loss and every gain, in every joy, in every sadness, in every mundane detail of every situation, in every moment, of every circumstance, of every minute of your life, God is working. You're not going to see what He's doing, but He is working. And He is working for good always. Now, we've got to come back again and be careful that we know what we mean by good. Let's just clarify that, because sometimes Christians hold this verse up Wave it around. Yes, God works all things for good. And what they mean is good equals happily ever after. All right, Good equals my circumstances are going to work out perfectly. I think that's sometimes what we think good means. Good means every negative becomes positive. Good means every negative situation is totally reversed. My circumstances completely work themselves out. Everything's restored to me, and uh, things work out happily in the end. Well, let's come back again and understand God defines good, right? Don't snatch that definition out of his hands. Stop trying to define good. Let God define good. We tend to have a very shallow view of what good is all about, and we'll define it typically in very selfish ways or very shallow ways or very short-term ways, you've got to leave the definition of good to God and believe that He is working in your life in every season, but He's working for good in ways that you may never comprehend. But it's good according to His plans. It's good according to His intentions. It's good according to His purposes, which may or may not line up with your purposes. But it's good in God's definition, and you've just got to release the definition of good to Him. I think sometimes what God is doing, the good work God is doing, is not the good of changing our circumstances. It's the good of changing us in our circumstances. You know, like we want things to be fixed. We want problems to be solved. And I think a lot of the work that God is doing when He's planning and intending in your life is He's changing you. And he's saying, I'm not going to fix all the externals. I'm going to change you in the midst of your situation. I think of a woman in our church, Rose. You heard her story earlier in the year on video. And she's come through a really tough separation. Separated from her husband four years ago after that, they'd been married for 12 years. Got two young boys. And. It's been a grueling time for her, a time when she's experienced incredible pain, not only the external separation, but the internal sense of rejection and loss and grief that that's brought to her. And she sensed, in some of the darkest of those times, God making some very significant promises to her, promises that he would step in and take that role of the husband in her life, that he would be her protector, that he would be her provider. And she has come to know what that intimate father-daughter relationship between her and God truly looks like and feels like. And God has taught her what her true identity is. That he gets to name who she is, not anyone else. And he tells her who she is, not anyone else. He has shown her how loved she is in his eyes. And he's placed strategic friendships in her life along the way. And she talks about God has brought her to a point where she's able to surrender her heart fully to God and just place her life before him. This is a work that God has done in some of the most agonizing situations that you can imagine. And it's not that Rose's situation has all worked out. It's not sort of a happily ever after story. She's still got the challenge of being a single mum. It's, it's not easy. But you can see a mile away that God has done good work in Rose's life. Right? It's not all changing the external circumstances, but it's been good work in her life. It's been shaping her heart. It's been teaching her what trust really looks like. It's been showing her what dependence on God's provision and protection really looks like. God has done good work in Rose's life, but it's been deep, internal work a lot of the time. Sometimes that's how God's going to work. Some, Some of the best work God will do in your life is in the hard times, but it's the quiet, internal work of His Holy Spirit. We want everything around us to change, and maybe God is saying to you today, the good that I'm doing is in the depth of your heart. I'm going to teach you what it means to be a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Maybe that's the good. Sometimes the good is good that flows out from our life into the life of other people. See, we typically want the good to be about us, right? It's like, God, the circumstances have happened. Now, where's the good for me? How's this working out for me? But think about Joseph's life. You know, the next part of that verse, he says, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now taking place, the saving of many lives. So what's that story about? Well, Joseph's family was saved through him. The nation of Egypt was prevented from starvation because of him. A lot of people from a lot of other countries were saved because God worked through Joseph. It was not just a blessing for him. It was a blessing for other people. And maybe the good that God is working in your life is a good that is not for you to experience, it's a good for other people to experience. We've got to take a little bit less of a self centered view to appreciate this. But it may be that God's working through you to touch the life of someone else. My auntie's a funeral director. And, uh works for a funeral home, and, and she shared the story with Anna and I a couple of weeks ago of a funeral that she was involved in for a 15-year-old girl, and she died of leukemia. Um, this girl had a wonderful faith. She was a genuine Christian, and I think it was her. Her mom was also a Christian, but her dad and her younger sister weren't. But through that girl's journey with cancer, her dad and her younger sister both became believers, and my auntie said the week of the funeral, it was the whole town was talking about this family. And, and their Christian testimony was just being known and it was being shared. And it, and it opened up other faith conversations. And she said you could, you could see the way that God was working for good in this situation. Now, again, let me say, I don't believe that God caused that girl's cancer. But you better believe he was working in that situation to bring good through her life and even through her death to win other family members to Jesus and to witness to his goodness in the midst of that town. God's used that situation for good, even in the sadness, even in the tragedy of what is happening. Sometimes you won't even know the good that God is doing in the lives of other people because you may not see it, you may not ever get to hear about it. But God may be doing something over here in someone else's circumstances, in someone else's family, and somehow you're involved in it. God's working through you, but you've just got to trust there is good happening. I just may not see it in my life, but that's okay. I'm part of a bigger story, right? It's not all about me. You can just trust that God is working for good. And sometimes the good that God is wanting to do is good that will last generations. Sometimes good that won't be seen for generations after you've gone. One of the very last interactions that Joseph has with his brothers in the book of Genesis, a few verses after the ones that we've read. He's talking to his brothers and he says, one day God's going to bring this family up again out of Egypt. And you know, he's looking ahead to the Exodus when he says those words. He's looking 400 years into the future. And God gave him the ability to see it. God revealed that to him. But Joseph's saying that there's good that is going to come of this that won't be seen for another 400 years when these people, our families, our extended families, finally get taken out of this land of Egypt and back into the promised land of Canaan. 400 years! Right, like we get impatient after a week. Like this, thing happened, this bad thing happened to me last week. God, where's the good? Come on, I'm waiting. It's been seven days now. Aren't you going to show up and bring something good out of it? And God's like, have you heard of Joseph? Have you heard of Abraham? Have you heard of Moses, these people that lived and never saw the fulfillment of the promise? I mean, the ultimate good. You know, here's Joseph, 1,700 years or so later is Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of that good. Of course, Joseph didn't live to see it. If there's one thing the biblical story shows us is God doesn't mind playing the long game. God's in this for the long haul. We've got such a short, little, narrow view of things, don't we? And we want to see good now and here and for me. And God's saying, just settle down. I've got a much bigger story that I am writing, a far better one than you could ever come up with, and you're going to have to be a little bit patient to see the good stuff. Who's to say God is not working in your life in some way? That the fruit of that is not going to be seen for generations after you've gone? You believe that's possible? maybe centuries. Who knows what God might do? Some way in which he's working, some way in which he's maneuvering in your life, even some small little insignificant thing you don't notice. Generations in the future that will bear fruit and there'll be some good work that will come of it that can be connected back to your life today. But you won't know and you won't necessarily sense it. You just got to have the faith to believe this is the way God works. And all of this brings us back to the mosaic. You see how all this comes together. I mean, if you if you just had all of those pieces in front of you, just lying on the floor, what's that going to look like? Just random, right? I mean, they're just different coloured pieces, and if they were just strewn here across the floor, you'd look at that and go, that doesn't make much sense. That's just a whole lot of nice coloured tiles. That's kind of what it felt like when you brought those pieces up the first time, right? You're just holding one piece in your hand, okay. And that's sometimes how life feels, right? We go through all these circumstances, and it just feels random. And you don't always know why things happen. And we want to know why, and we chase our tails asking the why question, and the why doesn't get answered. Things don't make much sense sometimes. You maybe feel like you're wasting time. Maybe feel like you're wasting your life. Can't understand why you've gone through some of the things that you've gone through, why you've hit some of the dead ends that you've hit. Why the wall's just not moving? Why the door's just not opening? Why things aren't happening the way you thought things were supposed to happen? And why God's not working the way you thought God was supposed to work? Because you're just looking at a whole lot of random pieces. But what Scripture calls us to do is to believe that God is taking those random pieces and He's working. You don't see it, but He's working. And you don't feel it, but He's working. And He's arranging as a master artist. He's bringing those pieces together. And he's making something beautiful. And one day, you are going to stand face to face with Jesus. And he's going to unveil this. It's going to be your life. And you're going to see what all those broken pieces have created. What God has created through all those broken pieces. And it's going to take your breath away. Because you're going to look at some of those most random pieces that you just couldn't understand why this and why that and why this. And you're going to see, man, I, ne- I, I could not have believed, God, that you were doing this. That this little tile was going to be part of that. That you were doing this over here. I, just, I couldn't have seen it even if you'd told me, God. It will blow your mind. But you will see how all the pieces of every season of your life finally come together in this beautiful mosaic. And so, God is saying to you in the present, you just got to trust me. You got to trust me that I'm making this mosaic and I'm going to reveal it to you when I'm ready. But it's not yet. And in the present, He's asking you, are you willing to trust me that I am working for good? Are you willing to do what Proverbs 3 says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. That's the kind of faith we need to have if we're going to believe that God is the one in charge of the mosaic, and God is the one who gets to define good. It should lead us to a place of deep trust and deep rest in the sovereign, loving, providential care of God who holds the whole story together. Let me finish with the words of an old hymn written by a guy called William Cowper. He struggled with depression and despair for many years, but as a follower of Jesus, he found a way to put that into words and see the hand of God in the midst of some pretty bleak circumstances. Think about these words as we close. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Father, we thank you that that is who you are. You're the God of providence, the God of Joseph. You're the God who all the way through this story that we've looked at has been working out your plans and your purposes and your will. And this morning, God, we say to you, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. There's so much that we go through we don't understand and maybe we wish it was different. Lord, you know there's there's people here in the room this morning, others listening online that are going through things now that make no sense to them. I pray that you would give them the courage of your Holy Spirit to lift their circumstances to you, lift the hurts and the grief and the heartache and the brokenness, as well as all the good gifts. Lord, lift them all to you and say, God, we just trust you. We don't see the mosaic. We can't see the finished product, God, but we trust you. We trust that you are working. And we thank you even in those times when we experience things that are evil and it seems like plans are being formed against us. We thank you that even in those times you are working. You are intending, you are meaning it for good. Thank you, God, that we can rest in your loving arms, your sovereign arms that, that hold us so firmly and so tightly. We love you, Lord, and we just say again, we are yours. We're in your hands, our church is in your hands, our lives, our families, our futures are all in your hands. We thank you for the way you've worked in Joseph's life and for the way you continue to work through us and on all the days of our lives, working for good, working for your glory. We thank you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.